Oh! Oh, hello. All right, let's do this one last time. Warning. Marvel and R&D contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended. As I told you a long time ago. Go fuck yourself. I got invitations right here. Enough for everybody. Are you ready? I was born ready, motherfucker. You Spider-Man, given a job to do. I played the long game, Mr. Castle. That's my secret, Captain. On the roof! So many snacks, so many can die. We're in the end game now. He looks like an asshole. He's a criminal, that's who he is. I am. Well, that's just as fascinating as the first 89 times you told me that. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another Marvel on RMD. RMD yeah, did I say that right? Yeah, I'm sorry. I screwed up my opening already. Wow, that's a first. Yeah, I know. You would think I've only been doing this for 112 fucking years. Um, talking shop, where we bullshit about Marvel. Uh, but this time, we're going to be very specific about our bullshit. We are going to talk about James Gunn, his legacy with Marvel, and Guardians 3. I'm your host, the one and only Bobby D, and with me in the studio is David. Hello, everybody. And Michael. Hello. Um, when early reviews of Guardians 3 came out, I'm just going to start here. We're going to go through spoilers, so if you guys haven't seen it, I'm sorry, but we're going to talk because exactly. this is what we do. We're talking shop. And this is big. And this is, uh, this is probably the best thing Marvel's done in a while. Um, but I had my doubts going into it because we got all these things of saying that this is the best thing since Endgame. Well, that's like fucking giving me the shittiest taco in the world after giving me a piece of shit to eat previously. So I didn't know how to take it and going into this movie. And I was not, I did not know where I was going to take this road of this show coming into these topics because I didn't know if I wanted to see guardians because I've been kind of turned off to Marvel um, to where I haven't seen Ant-Man yet because you know, why am I going to see Ant-Man when it's going to come out in the 17th on Disney plus <laughs> um, like that? That's the, the, the mentality I've had as a fan at this point is I, I, I am good to wait. And, uh, now, and now, you have a good point. Now, um, um, we, we all talk about rotten tomatoes and how jaded they become. Um, when it comes to certain things, especially with the, uh, with, you know, the DC versus Marvel, the Disney stuff always seems to get higher rated and everything else. I went and took a look when I saw that the fan score and the critic score was relatively close. I was like, fuck, I need to go see this. Cause usually there's a larger gap, at least of, of, of late, of late, of late. Yes. There's usually a ginormous gap between what the fans actually think and what the critics are yeah. thinking. And we've been more, you know, we are critics ourselves and we've been more towards the fan side of the house lately because it just hasn't held up, you know, story wise or anything else. And so what I was shocked to see them so close into, um, you know, as far as percentage points apart, you uh-huh. don't, you don't see that, especially with the fact that, you know, of the people that are in it, the, the guy who's producing it and every, you know, are directing it and written it. Like, are we, what were we going to see out of this? And like I said, the fact that there were mere percentage parts of like uh, percentage points apart, I was intrigued for the very first time in a movie. Oh yeah. With that result, with the result like that, the last week or so it's been really surprising because I don't think any of the recent Marvel films have been, have gotten certified. Yeah. This certified, this quote unquote certified. And also like this universally agreed upon by everybody saying that, yeah, this is a good, it's a good Marvel film. Yes. So, you know, the score, when I originally looked at it was 85 and 95, it's down to 81 and 95. Uh, the 81 is the, the, the critics reviews, but of course people are going to see what they want to see in it. Now we have also spent the better part of COVID 
I'm just going to use that as an actual time period now. So the last couple years of talking about everything needs to be character driven that, and I've been a big person that has said that I don't need everything to connect to a bigger universe when it comes down to it, to know that the characters exist is good enough for me. It doesn't have to go to a bigger story. Yeah. The trend that governed the general idea of the beginning of phase one and phase two, or I should say from the beginning with phase one through phase two and possibly even phase three was the idea of making individual films with very small connections. There wasn't this massive crossover that seemingly came to its full totality somewhere at the end of phase three. And then of course, bleeding into phase four and I'm all about crossovers, but you also have to have individual properties, individual films and or television shows that don't rely on the plot of a separate film. And it, to Bob's point, Guardians Volume 3 is a perfect example of a movie that doesn't rely on anything other than the previous two films and the elements that you can say rely on other aspects of the MCU, that's due to the nature of the beast at this point. And I would say the only moment that I would point to in volume three would be the Gamora aspect. Yeah. Because like, because of her death, her death. And also the Thanos thing is pretty big in regards to all of the MCU. Everyone, everyone in the entire galaxy all the characters have been felt by the, by essentially what Thanos did, the snap. Yeah. So everyone was felt by that and you had ramifications. But, but that didn't really play a part in this movie Not, other than the Gamora aspect. Exactly. No, yeah. and only when it counted. Yeah. And the only person that it should count is Gamora because like that, that's her story. That was like what the only other person I was like thinking it could have connected to was Nebula, but she made her peace with, with her father. So that, that wasn't her story. Right. But the decisions that were made that governed each character's, the cause and effect yes. aspect of each character. It, 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 it didn't, it, yes. It did not rely on anything yeah. outside. So, I mean, it, you, you go back and you look at everything that we've gotten so far. Shang-Chi is probably the only one that really wasn't affected by anything going on. It was a self-contained story and it was yes. actually one of the better ones. Um, you know, what we saw with, uh, Thor and everybody else was side effects of what happened. You know, every TV show we've seen had a side effect, whether it, I mean, it, it expanded the story, but it was still an effect of what happened with Thanos and building towards what is the next phase of this. This was the only movie that I saw that was going through it. And you were, you, you sit there and you go, okay, this is what superhero movies are about is about the individual stories going in. And it's shit that like we, again, we were on repeat over and over and over again. What do I need from a good story? I need, I need storytelling, a, a good plot, a character development, and a fucking villain you can hate. Yes. And, 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 and it, a, a soul. Yeah, <laughs> yes. You, you have to feel. You have to feel. And I'm telling you this, and I'm looking directly into the camera, and I never do this. If you didn't feel in this fucking movie, you are an absolute piece of shit. <laughs> And I don't want you listening to me anyway. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. That was strong. I, I that mean, was strong. That's the way I, 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 that's how strongly I feel about what happened in, in this movie. I did not expect to go into this. You know, I looked at this as James Gunn's swan song. And what, what, what did I expect to get? I, I expected to get James Gunn to the max of like, you know what? I'm going to, he's going to push it. Um, we're, he's probably going to kill off all his characters. Spoiler alert, because we're there. Well, guess what? It, none of that happened. None of it happened. And you're just like, what the hell? This dude just walked away like, like, Hey, thank you, Marvel. Thank you for everything you've done for my career. You have led me to bigger things. Take my kids and be good with them. Yeah. And essentially he got to finish. His story finished his story. And that's what was actually really cool was like when you take a look at all these characters, all of them don't necessarily have to come back, but they all kind of have a happy ending, which is really refreshing because just like what you mentioned, I think I was one of those people that was expecting rockets dying. Yeah. Rockets going to die or 
Star-Lord's going to die. Batista's Someone's going to die. die. Batista, Drax is going to die. Yeah, Drax is going to die because Batista don't want to play the character. Yeah. I, yeah. I would, I have a different reading of that. I, I feel like the text is saying something that's not obvious. I don't feel like it's a happy ending. I feel like it's a, an, an ending that is real. Not everyone I, needs okay. to die to have a, to be a sad story. They all separated. They came Star to Lord didn't get the girl. Yeah. Lost love. You know, I don't think anyone it, really, it's very real life. And that's mm -hmm. where I think James Gunn's expertise as an auteur comes into play here. Because as we know, films typically reflect the times we live in and our time over the last, say, six to eight years, we are living like we lived in the 1970s and the early 20th century where we're, we all are filled with this existential dread. We're living through that again because of political landscape, this, you know, just everything's very contentious and we're at each other's throats. And a lot of people don't understand the meaning of all this. And if you look at what's really going on in this movie, everything is built under that umbrella of existentialism. Even the villain himself is the embodiment of a, of a Nietzsche character Yeah, uh, where you have this guy that said, there is no God and I'm here to step in. Yes. I mean, fuck, I hate him. He is the worst villain in a good way. Yes. That we've ever had. He's actually, he's he, a true villain. He's a real bad guy. This is the first Marvel movie that I felt they did the villain justice. Like, the high evolutionary is supposed to be a dickhead. That's the thing. He's there was no redeeming quality. There's no redeeming quality to him. And I'm a fan of making our villains relatable. I do like that. However, we've been there. We've done it. Marvel has kind of, uh, you know, given us villains that we kind of like. Thanos Lo was right. Thanos. This guy is just through and through a piece of a shit. Piece of shit. My son and I went to go see this and together just a couple days ago. And my son, the first thing my son said was like, I really just want that guy to die. The moment yeah. he came on screen. Yeah. He's that's, a true I, villain. I feel like that's what really raised the stakes because you wanted this guy yeah. to die. Well, and, that's and, the thing. And, and, and what, it, what is the thing that makes movies? We've said this, especially superhero movies. Walking Dead, the television show, is only as good as its villain. Most movies, when it comes to superheroes, are only as good as their villain. And this was the first villain that, like, made an impact. Like, legitimately, I could not tell you who the villain was for, like, some of the other movies at this point. I've oh, yeah. already forgot. Or even the worst part. I don't part. remember the Shang-Chi villain. Uh, uh, the dad. Yeah. I don't even think She-Hulk had a villain unless you want to group Kevin Feige, Kevin Feige and toxic masculinity. Yes. But like, oh, it's so you, abstract. Oh my God. When you think about it, it's kind of like the problem, the, the villains, problem a concept that they've always had with villains is kind of like, Oh, we need to make them an anti-hero. We need to make them human. We got to make, we them might relatable. be able to turn them and Yeah. It's almost forgotten that basically the term villain in a story should be a bad guy. You know, that's, that, that is your main obstacle. That's who your heroes are supposed to take down. And we as the audience are supposed to be cheering when the villain gets brought down. And this is what I was talking to Bob about before we started recording today. It was that this film succeeded in so many different categories, but just removing it from the world of Marvel for a second and just looking at it as a, as a piece of pop culture at this point or a, a classic example of what a summer temple film should be. This movie had that. It brought back that classic good versus evil. There was no in-between. There was no gray area anti-hero, which I typically, you know, like and enjoy. But when you have characters that refuse to kill, even the villain, and then you have the villain who is the worst piece of shit we've ever seen on a Marvel screen before, suddenly you realize that James Gunn is definitely pulling back to the classic hero's journey mm -hmm. good versus the ultimate evil that's what guided much of george lucas's original concepts for star wars and some of the best sci-fi fantasy epics of our modern age it goes to like it goes to the old adage what's if it's not broke don't fix it the whole point about the hero's journey is the hero's journey is a perfect example of a perfect story that doesn't need to be broken the problem is, is like a lot of people feel we got to change it. We got to, we got to tweak it a little bit just to give it a little more spice to it. 
And you do, but people do it so more often today. You can't M. Night every movie. Exactly. <laughs> Everyone the, thinks the, that they got to be M. Night. You know, where it's like it's twist. Like, you know, the, what a twist. And um, that's that's why I felt with at the end of watching Guardians of the First one, I'm like going, this gave me vibes of like a feeling from phase one where it was like, I can go back now and watch Guardians 1, 2, okay. and 3. And have a complete story, and it bo felt bo good. Bold statement. And it feels really good. Gar Guardians of the Galaxy is one of the best trilogies ever. Oh man, that's tough. I have a person. I have a personal like to the Iron Man trilogy, but that's because I love the story of Tony Stark. Yeah, but dude, but two two is weak. <laughs> two is weak. But two is weak for this trilogy. Yeah, two, two is weak, but not as weak one. as two is for Iron oh, Man. Oh, that's hard. That's hard. That's hard to say. Now taking this into again, pulling it out of the realm of Marvel and comparing it to a larger, you know, data pool. I guess you can say. I would say this. I don't know. I'd have to watch all three films back to back to say this is one of the best trilogies. That's why I said it's bold. But I will say that it very well could be as time moves forward because I feel like some things age better with time. And I do feel like volume three and volume one specifically, those two films hold, will probably hold up their stories. And of course, by default, the second one is the bridge to that. Yeah. So whether you dislike the second one or not doesn't really matter because the opening and the ending is what most people remember. And mm -hmm. the middle is simply a bridge to get to the ending. When you look at all three as a complete story, the problems I had with the second one aren't there, aren't as glaring as it was originally when I watched it by itself. Yeah. When you go back and rewatch the second one, it's like Iron Man 3. Iron Man 3, everyone hated, but... I'm starting to actually see a lot of people say when they go back and rewatch Iron Man three and see the totality of Tony Stark, Tony Stark's story. Iron Man three is perfect, but Tony Stark's story ends in Endgame. It doesn't end in Iron Man three. That's the, that's the one caveat. And that's that. your point, Bob, that this is a fully functioning trilogy that stands on its own. And I don't think any Marvel film, can you point to any Marvel film since 2000 and what, eight? Is that when Iron Man came out? 2008, 2009? Yeah. One trilogy that in order to understand a character's full journey. Spider-Man. Spider-Man comes really damn close. Yeah. yeah. And then. And aren't these all the films that we like? Yeah. You have. <laughs> that's why I'm thinking to myself, the trilogies that are complete. You have Iron Man, Captain America. You have uh, Spider-Man's is complete. Thor's is complete. Thor's is, you know, I'll say it right now. I don't like. Thor's trilogy. It's one of the most frustrating ones yeah, of all. I, the fact that Thor got four movies is probably the worst yeah. thing. Guardians <laughs> is complete. Probably the worst thing. That's it. Just the worst thing. Those are the only complete trilogies that I can think of that are in Marvel right now. But also, let's clear the board for a second. Yeah. Now, looking at the Iron Man films and those three films, that's it. If they had stopped there, would we be would we be having this conversation? Meaning star Lord story is going to continue as we know. Yes. So in 10 years, are we going to say the exact same thing? That star Lord story didn't end, but Luke Skywalker's story continued too. it. It doesn't mean that the original trilogy is bad because they moved on to different stories with him. I agree with you, Bob. Yeah. You have to ask yourself, like what is the story of the guardians of the galaxy about? It's about this it's not just about these uh, individuals. It's about this set of. It's about the this group. This mm -hmm. this group of Goonies getting together yeah. and going out and becoming something. Their emotions, their drives, their motivations to be together, all independent in these three films. They all function. They don't rely on anything past or possibly even present because whatever you may do to further flesh out, mm -hmm. say Star Lord or Rocket, any of those characters. I don't feel like it would undermine or we would take away and say, well, now that we have all this, is it really a complete story? And I would, I would argue that it would be, I was presenting that question solely because I want to see what you guys thought. And the moment Bob said what he said, I was like, okay, that's exactly how I feel about it. I feel like this is a complete picture. Yeah. You can look at Tony Stark's movies, Iron Man one, two, and three. And yeah, they are great, but I don't feel like there's a complete snapshot until the ending of end, until the ending of phase whatever the initial phase 
three? Is that where Infinity War? Endgame. Endgame ended. Endgame. Yeah. That's the thing is like when I look at everyone points that Tony Stark's story ends when he dies. For me, the whole the whole story of Tony Stark ends in in uh, Iron Man three because it's about PTSD. It's about Tony overcoming that. Yeah, dude. But and then like when he he doesn't overcome it, that's the thing. When he gets to Endgame, because he's overcome it. That's because that's why he's able to make that call finally in the end and say, okay, this is it. I don't know if I agree with that. Cause I definitely feel like he came to some type of reconciliation in the third film, but I would argue that his fear is what instigated Ultron. Oh yeah. But that you gotta PTSD remember. that the fear was derived from. And then that then carries into the events of infinity war and Endgame, and ultimately the death he paid, I felt had a lot to do with the problems he caused the the reasons, the bad decisions that got to them, that got them to this point, you know? So who, I mean, obviously that requires a much bigger, that, that, that and would I, and require I, a huge di- deep dive into it. And I want people to realize I'm not speaking definitively here. I'm simply but, yeah. but the going fact, back and forth. But the fact is that this movie has the like, cause these discussions to happen mm-hmm. and none of the previous ones have like I'm talking about previous of this new like genre of superhero TV shows and everything else okay we didn't have this discussion at the end of Ragnarok no we no. were yeah no 100% we, yeah. we didn't have this discussion in love and thunder <laughs> because we, we don't know what was happening with Thor's character at that point yeah yeah so you know we, we we never had these discussions on what was going on no matter how good Moon Knight and everything else was this has opened up like a grander discussion to have on like legitimately like we always talk about the elevation of what is what was a Marvel A-lister to what a Marvel A-lister is today. Mm-hmm. And James Gunn has lifted the Guardians into that atmosphere of A-listers when they pro- they weren't before. Oh, absolutely. I you think know, after, you, especially after this, you can hold them in high regard like the Avengers. You, you feel good about them when you when you talk about them. Like it, it is weird and and a lot of that has to do with the storytelling that was going along in this movie was that you had these misfits get together and get in arguments and point out faults, but those faults are also their strengths. Yeah. You know, to where you might be annoyed by the way somebody acts, you know, and and some of those were like the most like brutal, like heart wrenching scenes between it, watching the guardians fight with each other. But James Gunn's storytelling was able to show how Drax isn't an idiot. That Drax has this, that Nebula has something in her, that you know, we we saw these characters that we watched Rocket and we cared about animals in like this <laughs> animal can't. activist way that none of us had to like the subtlety of how he executed these things is what we need. Because what we've been bitching about is I don't need to get dick slapped in the face with some kind of fucking agenda. And I didn't get this in this movie. You felt for these characters because they were characters. You didn't look at it as somebody that was like, oh, well, they're just telling me how I should feel because, you know, this is the way that the world works today is that if I don't feel this way, I'm wrong too. It's like, no, I care about this character. We watch the struggle. We feel for the character. Holy shit. It's called storytelling. Yeah. I agree because every good director has an underlying story mm-hmm. within the subtext and not a lot of Marvel movies have done that. They've no. have they utilized that winter soldier comes to mind. Most of the original Iron Man, the first three outside of that James Gunn volume three, there's a lot going on when it comes to the ethics of animal rights that is true in fact this is a better version of jordan peele's nope nope was trying to be this high art idea of an activist piece on the dangers we put animals in and we don't actually stop and think that every moment they exist in the human world is a moment of terror for them yes like that's the whole point of nope Guardians of the Galaxy is doing that so much better. Oh, yeah, because it, it goes to like what you said. It's all about subtle storytelling. Now that we look back, it's so weird. After I 
finished watching guardians volume three started thinking about like the, the little subtext that we got in one and two, you know, about how like people overlook, overlook the, the different quote unquote different people. And you know, how we basically look down upon certain species because they're different than us. And that happens a lot throughout all the guardian movies. I mean, guardians Two, ego, the blue living planet, he pretty much looks down upon everybody and treats everybody kind of like how the high evolutionary looked at everybody. I mean, overall, aren't these people supposed to embody the idea of the outsiders, the black sheeps, the well, weirdos? That's why I said they're basically, yeah. they're, they're goonies. Yeah. goonies. They're, they're adult goonies at this point where they all have like their own little nuances and they come together mm-hmm. and they form this team to get one eyed Willie's gold. <laughs> I mean, uh, but you, you you talk about like the, the how we've had movies in the past that haven't done it right. Nope, didn't do it right. The happening when M Night tried to do yep. the 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 yep. ecological uh, ecological, horror. Horror ecological horror form horror. that 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 the wind was haunting us and you you know and <laughs> the bees <laughs> yeah you you know yeah you had that that way of doing it and it just didn't work right. The concept is amazing, but it's a horrible movie. It's a horrible yeah, movie, like, but amazing concept. Yeah, I mean, it, it's... This is why this is an awesome activist piece. It's subtle. Subtle, but you also get a guy who's like, yeah, I love animals and fuck you if you don't. And he's a cool dude. You but know, the, he doesn't just get lost in his smugness. Well, he, He's not throwing, like, uh, red paint on fur. Well, the beautiful, yeah. thing, the beautiful thing that James Gunn does, too, with his storytelling is he does it not just in a subtle way, but in a human way where all of us can actually say, okay, yeah, or, we all get on the same or ship. even better, a humorous way because some of those beast things that they were saving when, you know, Mantis <laughs> looks at it, it's like, you're beautiful too. Dude, you. you know, it's like when you look at the ugly baby and you're just like, oh, your kid's a kid. kid. Uh, <laughs> here you go. <laughs> there were legitimate moments of just disturbing imagery. Yeah. I applaud Marvel for allowing James Gunn to push the envelope a bit because that, that entire scene with in the end with the villain's face removed. Yes. And you see all that hideousness. Yeah, with the scars that <laughs> rocket close, left him. But there are moments that are just very disturbing, but also at the same time, you know, heart touching, like with Rocket's friends. Oh yeah, with the four or four animals. We all knew it was coming, but it didn't make it. It doesn't make it easier. Yeah, yeah. Like you're, you're you, the whole point of we, we've again. If you've been a fan of our shows, you've seen me do countless episodes of Arrow. And how flashbacks are supposed to work and how they don't work sometimes. This is how flashbacks This work. is how flashbacks work because yeah. you knew something was going to go wrong. Like you were watching going, we know how Rocket is. We see how Rocket was. Yeah. This ain't going to end fucking pretty. And that's that's the thing too is like the whole time I, I actually was like thinking, I hope they don't waste the the idea of using a flashback like this. The payoff has to be worth it to a flashback. And the payoff was the Jay and Silent Bob like click commander scene of watching all of him get rescue all the animals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can reference all kinds of movies. <laughs> but like when you get to that end of the uh, end of Rocket's tail and throughout the flashbacks, you're like going, oh, that hits you. That just hits you right in the feels because like it makes you number one, it makes you hate the villain even, even more. Because high evolutionary beforehand, we I'm I was like you, Mike. They've treated him like he is a dick from the beginning, but when you get to rockets, it's like that's when I felt like what you you were saying is like no, you, we want to see this guy die now because of what he did, and it's not enough that Rocket like screwed up his face. No, Rocket's got to finish this once and for all. So that's how you use a flashback. People basically squander a flashback and basically say oh look he was he was just abused or they just try to make it something different i would see it is technically on paper it's a flashback but the way they utilized it it was almost the way they executed it it was designed to be more or less something that was going on parallel parallel but in the subconscious of rocket yeah you know, I, I, at least that's how I took it because the camera always zoomed in on him or pulled away from him when he was laying down unconscious. Yeah. And then they would move into those shots. 
or into those flashback sequences. So yes, to Bob's point, that's how you do proper flashbacks. You make us not feel like we're going, you know, with the white flash, we go to the past now and see what's going on. If you're going to do flashbacks or what I would even call 20 years earlier. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There was a TV show that Thomas and I just reviewed and it did like 24 hours before. And then 30 seconds later, six (laughs) minutes later, later. and then 24 hours later, Later. I'm like, what the hell is happening right now? (laughs) So yes, this is how you do it. And I would argue that technically I would probably call this just nonlinear storytelling as opposed to just, it's more than just a flashback because it was geared. It was built into the narrative itself. It was, it was a component of the narrative more than just simply a, a structural choice for, you know, flash or pizzazz. It was an actual element of the script itself. I guess it was being used to tell the story. We don't get the George Lucas wipe. (laughs) where it's like other foom okay well now we do a wipe it it it, to to like what you're saying flashbacks suck when they draw attention to themselves that that, let me just keep it simple because like the it came out naturally especially in the beginning when they took rocket off the they set it up from the beginning off the board Yeah. yeah they set it up from the very beginning because rocket got hurt and you put him in that position where now He's not around talking to the guardians. Now we have to go and now you can have a look into rocket subconscious because he's unconscious at that point. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we, we've talked a lot of like the, the serious moments of what happened in guardians and you know, the, the storytelling and everything else. Now, I don't want people that haven't seen it. If you're still listening to think that that's what all this was, that this movie still had its, visual aspects that were amazing. Oh yeah. It still had its humor. Some of the best it, action sequences. And it's, yes. And, and it's action. It, it wasn't all the, the story drove the movie, but there were things along the way that kept you going. Like this is a guardians movie. This wasn't something that is like, you know, the way we've been talking about it, it almost feels like this was like a, a serious take on how the guardians would be. And it, it wasn't, they were bullshitting. They were doing their guard. They were being guardians. Right yeah. before you were about to slit your wrist, they brought some levity. Yeah. <laughs> and I exactly. say slit your wrist in a good way because it, it was a, there was a it lot was, of emotion there. There was a lot of emotion. And then right when it was getting to that point where it's like, fuck, this is really taking a toll on my mental health right now. They, they insert a joke and bring us back to the fun side of this movie. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, you talk about, I mean, Star Lord's reaction to Gamora at the beginning. Yes. You know, Batista being called in fucking idiot. Uh, Dude, that hurt. Yeah, that, that did. Yeah, it and was then, so like, weird. And then you're just like, when Mantis like cures him, you're just like, I, w- I want somebody, I want somebody to touch me like that. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I want somebody to love me like Mantis. Like, it's okay. You're not an idiot. I'm not an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not an idiot. But, but, but just the, the fact that they had that serious scene where, you know, uh, with Nebula, Mantis, and Drax, and you're like, "Fuck you, Nebula! You're still a fucking cunt." And th- then Mantis, and then Drax just goes, oh, "I just punched through that," and you're just like, "He, oh, he's back. He's back. He's back to normal." But, I mean, but so it was, the, you know, it was written in that way to where humor wasn't used like it's been used in a lot of the Marvel things. It was used in the James Gunn way to kind of, like you said, bring you back to the story and who the guardians were that you loved. And there's still these people, but they're going through some shit. And I also think that basically the the chemistry of this cast is the best. I mean, it's, I would say that the chemistry of this cast is far even better than the chemistry of the Avengers cast where in the Avengers cast. Yeah. You could tell that uh, the cast got along well together and everything, (laughs) but like when it comes to the guardians, the way they deliver their lines to each other and everything, it feels legitimate. It feels like it adds that authenticity when those moments like between Drax and Mantis, I thought the chemistry between uh, Batista and I can't remember the actress's name that plays Mantis was really good. Well, it it is because if you ever watch the Christmas thing, they're basically the only two ones in it. They're the only ones in it, but it's like, it's, it's felt so strange to me because it's kind of like, I remembered what they were like in the very beginning, especially in number two. 
And then you see this progression to the, to like almost their perfect form yeah. as, as a, as a cast. And it's like this, that really helped with the storytelling. Yeah. And, and uh, again, the humor is there. There, there, there was one thing I want to talk about that kind of just irritated me. We had our first Marvel F-bomb. <laughs> but it's a James Gunn F-bomb. Come on. You and, have to expect any James and, Gunn. And, and people were on the internet going, I can't believe Disney let them do an F-bomb. While we just had all this body dysmorphia and everything else going on with all these fucking people, people and, and the way they were looking. And I, I, I was amazed by it. But... Like, I'm like, amazed that people still think this is the 1950s. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I, you can see her fucking nipple through that shirt. Oh my God. Her dress is above her ankles. That's so hot. That's so hot. It's so forbidden. <laughs> when David said that he actually looked at my ankles. Come on, David. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> Mike, hike your pants up a little higher. Okay. Stop. stop. <laughs> is that why you block, block everything with the- <laughs> Next thing you know, we're going to have a privacy screen bought over his desk, <laughs> over his desk. <laughs> um, but, but, but the fact is like uh, the, the, the humor um, kind of led you through and, and even like the F bomb, it was that, that dad moment of just getting the fucking car, like, <laughs> you know, but there, there was shit like that, that just kind of moved it a lot, like moved it along and, and brought you back. Like Mike said, from not slitting your wrist. Yeah, I wonder if that was a Chris Pratt call because it felt so organic it and did. natural. Like, because think about when you're writing the script, do you would you actually write that? I don't think you would. It wouldn't feel right as you're writing it. Bad writers would write it. Chris Pratt, it feels like something because of the the stakes and where you know the fact that he's in a rush that they're on the go. You felt the intensity more. So I'm wondering if that was a Chris Pratt call, and then James Gunn's all like, print it. <laughs> make it happen well i mean because i mean some of those lines are the best lines and every time like i think of like the absurd like f-bomb the coming out of nowhere i always think of ringer with johnny knoxville when he's like i took them to get ice cream he's like when the fuck did we get ice, ice cream, cream. <laughs> that wasn't written that you know, the dude just it. screamed out when the fuck did we get ice cream and this it's is hilarious. why you pay money for those types of actors because when you pay an actor you can't constrain them you have to let them do their thing and if that actor feels like that's something someone would say in the moment or do something in the moment and it's not derailing like some underlying motivation that the director wants to make sure it's conveyed then by all means let the man do his job i mean that's the biggest problem i had with brian johnson in the last jedi when Mark Hamill organically cried when Chewie and and Luke meet for the first time in Last Jedi, and Chewie tells Luke that Han Solo has died. Mark Hamill's natural reaction as an actor was to break into tears. Yeah, Ryan Johnson cut it and didn't want that. Yeah, I'm like dude, let your let the guy you hired do the <laughs> thing that feels natural for the part. Yeah, so. Um, and that also reminds me of like after we covered air, which you guys can find on our teak revolve um, feed there, there's a scene where the guy, the Nike executive and Michael Jordan's lawyer are arguing back and forth between Matt Damon. And I forget the other actor's name. Affleck, let them just fucking do that organically. So when they're just arguing and calling each other names and everything, that was Affleck just sitting back going, go guys, go <laughs> show me what you got. Show me what you got. Tell me what you would actually do as your character in this in this scenario. There's very few directors that should poo-poo on an actor doing that. When you have someone like, say, Tarantino, who's very specific with his words, then that might be a little different because yeah. there's certain things that you he, he that's his whole thing is dialogue. Same thing with Kevin Smith. There may be moments where like, no, 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 no. The dialogue and every word matters. So don't ad lib this this portion but when you are dealing with regular films that don't rely on specific forms of dialogue then by all means let them do what you paid them to do yeah and especially since this is what this is what brought this team to the table the fact that james gunn was very comfortable with this class to or, or cast to the point that they were loyal to him because why he listens to them yeah he and does made a good them job. look a lot better and he, than most directors do 
at the same time. So. Exactly. He does. You can't name. You can't name one of these actors that had a better role in anything but James Gunn movies. I would say every single one of these actors, except maybe Brad Cooper, which I don't know if that really counts, and Vin Diesel. I don't know. Vin Diesel's pretty good. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> All the other major players, I, 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 th- their names were made from this franchise. Oh, oh, oh yeah. yeah. I, I still want the Vin Diesel cut to where we find out that, like, how we found out that Chewie was actually saying lines <laughs> and they dubbed over. And they dubbed over. And I want there to be a Vin Diesel where he's actually talking to the characters. Oh, that would and be then awesome. it's just like, I am Groot is what they fucking dub over it. So they had the proper reaction to things. Anyway. Um, now, Zoe Zotana had a career, but I feel like Pratt had kind of a career, but eh, this made he him. wasn't a Pratt, household name. He was, yeah. He, he, yeah. I mean, he was a sitcom. He was a sitcom person. Like I point. remember when he got cast, I was like, they cast the fat dude. And I, you know what? I would argue that even Zoe Zotana was possibly not a household name. Not at the time. No. Yeah. Even though she had Star Trek, I still don't think it, her name manifested itself in the human. Con- no, because the, until I looked it American up, I forgot she was one, you know, in avatar. I mean, the only person yeah. I could think of out of this cast and the original from the guardians one, the only one that had truly, you could say, yeah, he had star power, quote unquote, star power was uh Batista just Did because he? he came from a different medium. He came from a different yeah, medium. But he wasn't is a household gay. name. I didn't know who he was. And I'm involved in entertainment and pop culture. Yeah, no. Well, the, I mean, I heard of his name, but I I wouldn't be able to place his, his I, face I would, to it. I Batista now is a person that you look forward to seeing in movies. Batista then wasn't that person. Not yeah. at that point. Not at that point. No. I mean, I don't think he was even in Bond at that point. Uh, well, he was great in that Iron Fist movie too, but but he still to me wasn't a household name. In fact. I would say when he got cast into this, I'm like, the only thing I could point to was like, oh, he's the dude from the Iron Fist film. Yeah. And I liked him in it. <laughs> yeah. And you're talking about a Wu-Tang film that how many people saw? Yeah. yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, again, we have a broader spectrum of who these people are because of what we do and some of our backgrounds. I don't think they were, you know, Joe Schmo off the street from Kansas that works on a farm knew who Batista was other right. than for a wrestling thing. Yeah, that's that's a good point because I, I remove your movie knowledge and, and put yourself knowledge. in the shoes of average Americans who just go see movies and watch TV. Yeah, I mean, we, we legitimately just quoted every ecological thriller over the last two decades. <laughs> decades. Like, 20 minutes ago. So, um, and some people are like, what's the happening? I mean, even Michael Rooker, I mean, he's been around forever and I have Did been you? a huge fan of his for a very, since replacement killers. I loved Mall him rats. in replacement. Mall That's rats. right. Mall rats. But I would even argue his stent on the walking dead did not do for him. What this, what these films did. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that, I think everybody that walked out of this is walking out of it better than they came in. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Now I want to get to the visual aspects of this because I've been a very critical person on the air about fucking my favorite person, Chiquita Banana Tiki Wakiti, (laughs) stealing everything from James (laughs) Gunn. Um, uh, James Gunn went and switched it up again. I don't, uh, the coloring and everything else that went into this movie wasn't as bright as we saw previously. It was more muted. It, everything was muted. Which fits the, the mood. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, it, it was a different looking field than the other two movies. And I always wonder how much of that was done because, uh, Chiquita Banana, um, uh, <laughs> Tahiti, um, stole his look, uh, his feel, um, his humor, his soundtrack, um, and everything else. And you know what? You can steal all you want, but if you can't take that style you stole and make the compositions that James Gunn 100%. creates, I mean, that scene when they're in the spacesuits th- floating is a work of fucking art. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I, I look, I, you can give me a pen and a paper and I could draw Spider-Man, but I ain't going to be fucking Todd McFarlane. Exactly. So. <laughs> I like how he takes what I say and makes it a lot better sounding and easier to digest. <laughs> <It does. laughs> That's what I do. You you take care of the educational part of it, and then I dumb it down for people. Well, I didn't say dumb down. I just but, said, no, but you know what I mean. Like yeah. I explain it in my way. You've always said that about. He does the mantis to your drags. 
<laughs> Wait, what? I guess I'm an idiot. <laughs> I'll come over and touch you. You'll feel better. Yeah, there, there are moments in this movie, visually speaking, that rivals, I mean, some of my favorite films. Now, I'm not saying this is up there with my favorite films of all time. That's quite the feat. And maybe someday, looking back, for me, when I rate movies on my scale of my favorite films, it takes a long time for me to say, yeah, that's it, that movie. It's multiple viewings. It's Yeah. I mean, it took Kill Bill because Kill Bill is probably my number two of all time. Uh, oh, yeah. And it took probably eight years, nine years before I could definitively say, yes, this movie's definitely in my top five. And probably recently I finally said, yeah, it's probably number two. It takes time to see if something holds up because I feel like that has a lot to do with whether or not a film is good. And obviously there are films from the 1940s and fifties and sixties that don't hold up per se, but what they're doing and what they're saying do in fact. Yeah. And that's the thing uh, I'm kind of, I, I think you're, because before we started off the show, I came into the, I came into this with guardians kind of conflicted because I'm like going some strange reason. I like the movie. I like what I saw, especially like some of the, some of the choice of like, action sequences for me it it makes the guardians look more competent than the avengers and, and i'm like going this team is better than the avengers because it's a team that wants to be a team that, that, versus a bunch a of alphas exactly that's true and like but afterwards i was like going some strange reason something just nags me I think it, I mentioned to you guys off air i think i need a second want rewatch to it because it's kind of like I know this is good. I know also, I really enjoyed it. Also, you know, something I've noticed over the years working with you is that you sometimes have an inner conflict between like a, <laughs> being, a, being a critic and, and your being, fanboy and being, being a, a fanboy, and be, not even just a fanboy, but a comic book nerd. Yeah. Because you love comic books. Many times that plays a part and the way you discuss a comic book movie and the weird part about it, my comic book fan, it's not even angry, about this movie, but it, it's almost like you hit it on the head when you mentioned that you're jaded as oh, yeah. a comic book fan. I'm just jaded with Marvel at this point. Yeah. And, and, and we'll get to some of that comic book acts aspects after this, but I, I want to focus back on the, the visual side the visual of it. side of it. But like my favorite, my favorite moment that basically said, my God, this just made star Lord look just as competent as Captain America was the hallway scene. Yes. When they, when he, when they, when James Gunn does that like really cool pan and then does a turnaround on star Lord and Groot. And I'm like going, that's the Avengers. That's the Avengers motif. Every where, time you think you can't reuse that shot, you, you can, you find, well, I would say Marvel's done a pretty good job repurposing it. And but here's the thing. Here we go again. James Gunn doing it with his own unique yes. flair to it. James Gunn does the same type of shot, but it means more. It absolutely impacts emotionally, you more definitely. emotionally because it's like, this is the pinnacle of Star-Lord. This is the pinnacle of this team. They're all together. They're not like, you know, a bunch of alphas in, in the Avengers. They are, you know, to coin a phrase from another franchise, their family. <laughs> and like, yeah. Oh no. Well, it's just one of those things when you, you, you think of the guardians and then you look back at the Avengers, it's like, who are you without that suit? You know, you know, and you, you don't have those conflicts between so-and-so, you know, or like, don't make Bruce angry. You know, you wouldn't like him when he's angry, you know, type of things. And you don't have that with it. It, it is a group of people going into these fights together and fighting as one. And, and I think that's why those scenes mean so much more. And you go to that and then you go to the final scene with rocket and you're like, he's fighting him on his own. And then magically they're all fucking there. And it, and it looks like a freaking anime combo scene to take down the, uh, the, you know, the big bad at the end. You're just like, look at him fucking go. This is awesome. Yeah. Where was, and it's like hilarious because I thought about it. I'm like, going, them compared to the firm right at that moment to end game. Just visually, this has more impact than Endgame. And I was like going, that was an awesome moment in Endgame, but this just has more substance to it. Well, when they it, show up behind it, Rocket and they're all like, this is the Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, and it, and it isn't like, you know, and they, the Endgame scene is cool and, 
you, you go through and it's a, it's a bunch of feels and then it's a bunch of segregation where, where it's just like, all right, yeah, we're all going to battle and it's, you know, playing the old school games of like, this is, these are my castles going, these are my fucking knights. These are, you know, things and they're all segregated out. And then this thing you, you see like a, a complete and the, the hallway scene itself almost gave me the feel of like what we used to see in daredevil all the time. It was just like this continuous shot. And I realized a lot of it was CG, but it says a lot about the CG when I'm not focused on the CG because it looked so amazing. Yeah. And the thing is when you take the two, those are my two favorite. Now that you bring up the daredevil scene, those are my two favorite action sequences now in Marvel. When I think about it, they're the same type of element, but they do different things daredevil was to show how alone he is and how even if he's just one man he's going to win this out by all means necessary and it's going to be brutal and he's going to be tore up at the end of it here in the guardians it's like oh no all the guardians are here and high evolutionary screwed now yeah because the bad guy's going to get brought down because the team's here yeah <laughs> Um, and, and not only looking at the visual aspects of the fight scenes and everything else, um, James Gunn basically did a live action Zootopia. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and what, what is probably a risky, daring move to make all these animals look human to come together and, and to be visually stunning. I mean, to get some of those scenes with rocket and to see the gleam in his eye is the tear builds up when he's younger and, oh, yeah. and you're just watching those and you're like, wow, I'm feeling for these things. And it looks real. I yeah. watched it. And when they morphed the fucking turtle, I was like, why didn't James Gunn do fucking Ninja Turtles instead of Michael <laughs> Bay? Because that turtle that they just fucking made six foot tall looks better than any Ninja Turtle I've ever seen on screen. And the thing was, especially with the designs, the design choices for all the animals, they made them look real. And in that way, because they look so disfigured because of all the experiments that was done on them, you feel even more sorry for them. You feel more sympathy for them. And that's how you, that's how you can do like those messages you guys were mentioning about is instead of like pointing to the, uh, doing exposition and pointing to the audience saying, be kind to animals. You need to be kind to animals. No, show us. Yeah. Show us, like, make us care about these, these animals. Yeah, make me want to donate 39 cents a day to keep dogs <laughs> out of shelters or, you know, whatever it is, you know. I'm, I'm, Put some Sarah McLaughlin music in the background. Make me feels. There's a few movie hacks that you can, if you, if not hacks as in talentless, but movie hacks, like things that you can do to cheat your way to success in a creative way. And that's the thing that James Gunn did with his villain if you want someone to like your villain, have them be really nice to animals. It yes. works every fucking time. Yes. If you want everyone to hate your villain, have them, have them be a complete awful human, human being, being to, to those animals. animals and they will hate them. And yeah. I'm, I'm not kidding. After I watched Guardians the first time, when I got home, I held my cat. My cat I was like going, man, if someone did experiments on you, I'm going to rip their face off. <laughs> so now uh, again, visually stunning soundtrack on point like we don't need to talk about that at this juncture um adam warlock okay <laughs> he was the biggest problem with the movie 100 percent. i am not overly familiar with adam warlock so when it comes to how he portrayed the character i can't say but when it comes to scripting the if you had to say the the script was wonky in any areas, it's all Adam Warlock. It feels redundant. It feels a little pointless. If you remove that entire weird element that think about it, if you remove it, it really doesn't matter except, except for Chris Pratt, his character star Lord would have died without that character. Although you could also just make another character rescue him instead. But my point is, is that, Screenwriting 101. When you look through your script, you can if you can point to things that really don't add to your script, then remove it. And Adam Warlock is a sore thumb because he weighs down portions of the story. And that's the tough part for me because I love the character of Adam Warlock, especially in regards to Marvel Comics. The way he's portrayed here, 
very good. They did. They did. I liked them. I liked how they actually portray him. I think it's a perfect, it's a perfect portrayal of that character. But just like you said, then all of a sudden I think about him like going, did he really do anything in the story? Not really. He saved Star Lord. Okay. Also, his story was a little convoluted though, too, right? Like I was confused at at portions. Like, did his mother decide to turn on him? Did she shoot him during the big fight scene? That's at, what it seemed like. At Other Earth, or what was it called? Counter Earth? Counter Earth. Because there was a moment where he screams, Mother, and starts flying towards her, and then she shoots him. Like, what just happened? And then we never get back to that, and he never has another moment with his mom. Yeah. So maybe I need to rewatch again. Maybe I missed something, but it just, my point is, is I'm a very active viewer. Like I watch things intently. And the fact that that was lost on me says that there was just too much in certain portions of the movie. Oh yeah. And especially since with a character like Adam Warlock, when he first shows up, it was, that was awesome where he just decimates the, the team and he should, he's Adam Warlock. I mean, for, for comic but book fans, it, it, I know that makes comic book fans happy how he's portrayed. But then you turn him into the kid from We Are the Millers that has the fucking snake bite on his wiener or whatever. Yes. Yeah, no, that's what you got the rest of the time. Pretty much. Because he seemed incompetent. He seemed incompetent. And, you know, you can write it off as he just got born. So Right, and that's what they say. And he's still in that stage where he's... He's learning he's everything. He's, he's a preemie. Pre he's a preemie. <laughs> and for those out there in, in Marvel in, in who are fans of the MCU and have seen this or wondering about the character, that's how Adam Warlock is. He's born out of that cocoon. Mm -hmm. And it could be he's been only born for about one month. And yes, he has the knowledge of one month. That see, is it. See, I wish they would have explained it like that. Yeah. Because and that would make a little more sense. Now, again, it was clear with what they're trying to do, but yeah, and that's, and that's the not thing the that, case. That's why I was like going, he's not that, he's not like, so he's I wish simply, he, they he's not dumb. Yeah. He's completely naive. He's completely naive because he's only been around for like probably a month. And then that's a, that's a, that's an issue then. But he because has the powers I felt, of a God. That's the thing. Bob, did you feel the same way that he was portrayed as just being dumb? Yes. 100%. See, yeah. that, that's the only weakness of this movie. Yeah. And that's what the thing I was like going, okay, Adam Warlock isn't going to be the villain that I was like thinking it was. And instead he's almost kind of like this side character that it he's felt. That, he's that weird assassin that haunts somebody the whole time throughout. And then you end up getting him on your side. You get him on your side. And Which we all kind of figured because we know Adam Warlock isn't a villain per se. Yeah. No. And we also know that um, he's too naive and, and he seems like he has, um, he's affectionate, like with the animal. So when he started liking yeah. the animal, you're like, okay, we're supposed to like this when guy. When he liked Blurb. Yeah. <laughs> I love that, that little character. But that character. Especially at the end when he's running with him. And like, the, I like that's that. the thing. It's kind of like, that is. James Gunn's trying to do the Moana, or not Moana, yeah. um, Lilo and Stitch. Lilo and Stitch. <laughs> I will say this just as a, a bit of contrast. What the writer for Ant-Man and Wasp the new one what's it called ultimatum or we <laughs> know quantum mania the name of that movie is ant-man identity the ultimatum the weirdness of that movie he was trying to be james gunn too yeah and and yet the jokes never there were i went to go see that movie in a pack theater there were obvious moments where people were supposed to laugh it was crickets yes because it just didn't hit whereas you have james gunn who takes the most bizarre odd things and makes it not only work emotionally, but for, for purposes of humor as well as story. That's, that's a rare skill set. Not every character, not every director writer can take weird things that don't sound like they would work and actually execute it in such a way to where yeah. it actually does work. And that's what the thing I'm worried about with Adam Warlock is because like, James Gunn did a fantastic job in introducing him. Mm -hmm. Give us a little tidbit of him. Now we're going to see him, you know, obviously if Marvel decides to continue on the Guardians team and it's a new Guardians team at right. this point, Adam's there. Do you think that's the point? Do you think the reason that's why? The thing I, that's the thing I was like thinking at the end was like, they just wanted Adam Warlock to be introduced first and then we'll get a story of Adam Warlock. So can you imagine then like, the weakness of the script. If this, we're all, we're just, this is all hypothetical. We're speculating here. Yes. 
Now you're conjecture. entering my territory. But my, my point is, is that the only weakness, if we can call Adam Warlock's character and story a weakness, is something that probably wasn't James Gunn's doing. It feels like Marvel said, hey, we need to lay the groundwork for future yeah. Guardians and, and future you, stories. They went to James Gunn and said, would you mind, here's these characters, would you mind? Yes, because it does feel like Adam Warlock is an afterthought. Yeah. Like, oh, you know what? Let me rewrite this and find little ways to bring him in. Oh, yeah. Especially with the uh, some of the other characters that they introduced. Yeah. I mean, they introduced not only Adam Warlock, but they introduced Phyla Vell. And Phyla Vell is a major space character in Marvel. And I like the Cosmonaut dog. The Cosmo, yeah. The, the Cosmonaut dog. They introduced them. And that's the thing. It's kind of like those characters are cool. But it just feels like they just are afterthoughts. However, they gave them stories, though. Adam Warlock, I didn't feel like it, it hit. Like, with the character of uh, Sean Gunn's character, um, Crag, Crag, Craglin? Craglin, yeah. Is that his name? They found ways to give them a close-ended story that ended up mattering by the end. Oh, yeah. By just a simple moment between... Craglin and Cosmo, where he tells Cosmo, you're a bad dog. That then carries on through the entire movie, and that keeps their little story arc contained, mm -hmm. and then it matters at the end. That's how you do those little side stories. I don't have any complaints about that. They should have done something a little more cohesive with Adam Warlock to ground him a bit more, because you can literally rip him from the story, and he really doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. And that, the, the thing that's irritating is, like, especially... I felt that there should have been more with Adam Warlock and the high evolutionary. There should have been more with that because the high evolutionary is the reason why Adam Warlock got hatched. So, but there was not much, they didn't do much storytelling with that. So there again, you take away, you leave out those elements for Adam Warlock and he just seems like a blank slate. Yeah. All right. Um, I want to close out the show with two things. Are we going to rate it? We should. 100%. That's okay. one of my two. Um, where do you rank this, David? MCU or Marvel movies in general? Marvel movies in general? Yes. Definitely in. Now we don't have to have like a okay. thing. Are we talking top 10, top five, top 20? I'm going to say definitely better than top 10. Top five is the question. I'd put in a top eight if right now. Top eight. Okay. We'll, we'll come back and have this conversation. Such a, such a rebel. That wasn't even the question. <laughs> so I'll put it on top I can't, seven. I can't actually, uh, because I'm Four like, and a half. Which, which movies do I not, do I put over this film? It's just a general like, and look, consensus. We, 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 we have Into the Spider-Verse 2 come out that's the thing. in a week. I'm, I'm throwing that in there for like, Into the Spider-Verse because that's number one. Like, uh, <laughs> well, yes, we, I think we all agree Into the Spider-Verse is number one. Um, I don't think that's an argument. But the fact is, it's, it's like, we, you know, we, we do things based on rankings and ratings. So it's one of those things is like, where, where, where does this feel right now? And, and you're going top eight when I top ask eight. for 10 or five. <laughs> um, Mike, do you want to give me he your... He does the same thing to me, too. <laughs> well, Mike, do you want to put this in your top six? <laughs> I would put this in my top five. I don't even need to think about it. Really? It's easily. At top five Marvel films? Top five Marvel. Oh, yeah. Easy. Easy. Uh, what are you counting right now? Uh, you, finger things aren't good for audio. Tell okay, me. Okay, okay. Th th that's what I'm thinking right now. I'm putting Into the Spider-Verse. In no order either. Into the Spider-Verse, Iron Man 1, Winter Soldier. First, first Avengers, actually. I love First Avengers. Okay. Um, then Guardians 1. Um... I feel like this is better than Guardians 1. Really? Oh, yeah, dude. I don't know. I, then there's Iron Man 3. I actually love Iron Man 3. Um, All right. But he, he got to 8. He got, yeah, to, eight got to 8 already. So, uh, no, uh, for me, it's top 5. It, and with more viewings, it could surpass into the Spider-Verse for me for top 1. Really? I think there's enough emotion in it and enough, like, feels for me. Um, it, it gave me everything that a classic movie in like that me growing up needed. Like I, I've always been a big fan of the soundtracks being part of what you're doing. 
um, the way that the, the music works, the visuals, the storytelling and everything else completely worked for me. So this is definitely top five for me. And again, if I continue to watch, it could move up even further. But again, we have plenty of more talking shops that we can go through after we process this a little bit more because we're all less than 48 hours out of seeing it. Pretty much. What so, about your score, your RMD score? My RMD score right now, I would probably give this uh, a 90 potential to a 95 after rewatching. So I'm going to go with 90 right off the bat. Like instinctively, I believe that this is the strongest Marvel movie that we've seen in forever, like Disney produced Marvel movie we've seen in forever. Um, I remember I'm not a big fan of Endgame. I was a big fan of Infinity War before Endgame. Um, it's a better, it's a better fucking movie because it ends on like a, such a shitty moment with the snap. Um, and everything else since then has been bullshit. Like I could add up the scores of every Marvel movie that's been released since Endgame, and it wouldn't get a 90. Um, <laughs> minus Spider-Man. Minus uh, Spider-Man. But the, the, I, I would give this a 90. David? You know, I'm actually I'm actually with you. I'm at a 90. Talking about it now with you guys has got me over that hump of like, am I just jaded as a Marvel fan? I think you guys are right. It's something after a second rewatch, my score might be higher also, but I'm going to go with a 90 on it. And, and I think if we take Marvel out of the picture, when it comes to it, it holds up as a film. And I think that that's where we could get, you know, if this was an aliens type movie of like star space, you know, without Marvel without characters, Marvel characters. It, it would just be, you know, I think that the Marvel thing is definitely jading a lot of us, Michael. Thinking. It's difficult because this movie just operates at a whole other level when you compare it to Marvel movies. I'm, I'm looking at this as a film too. Like mm -hmm. I'm not just, we keep talking about this as a Marvel movie, but as a film, as a distinct piece of text forever embodied in pop culture, it's a 97%, I would say really? for me, but it drops down to a 93 because I feel like, and usually I don't say this, I do feel like they could have trimmed the film a bit, maybe by 10 minutes, maybe just removing the Adam Warlock stuff would have actually trimmed the film down. There were a few moments where I feel like they could have shortened a bit. And I'm talking like maybe a minute, 60 seconds here, 60 seconds here. There were certain things that Not did hang. Not whole segments. Yes. So I would say, you know, a 97% based on that. If it didn't have that, it would be a hundred in my opinion. And then the order Adam Warlock stuff comes into play. I, I bring it down to a 93 because I, I do feel like that's a sore thumb. Mm -hmm. So quick math. I think that's like a 91 overall for us, for our RMD score. If my math's wrong, I'm sorry, but um, it's like 91 and a half or something like that. Yeah. I mean, it's an overall good film. It's one of the best superhero films we've seen in quite a while. Yes. Um, by far. Uh, and we'll probably talk about this more on talk and shop with the DC side of the house, but it also gives me um, hope for the future of DC with this man at it. Um, he, he started something with Marvel and he was able to end it and I am satisfied with it. And if the characters never show up again, I will be completely okay with it because James Gunn did right by a Marvel did right by Disney and Disney and Marvel did right by him by bringing him back because the actors love him. And it definitely gives me hope for the future. And hopefully you find us in the future on whatever podcast provider you found us on. Remember rate review, subscribe. We will be putting these out throughout the year and we'll continue our bullshit. We'll talk to you next time. Okay, shut up, shut up, shut the fuck up.